I'm Peter Down. This is Direct Left on Call-In. And if you haven't yet uh, signed up for the newsletter, please go to directleft.com and do so. Um, today I'm talking to my friend, Professor Anthony Zankas. Hey, Anthony, how are you? Hey, doing good, Peter. How are you doing? And all good. this craziness in the world. Oh, my God. Well, we'll talk all about it. Thanks for joining. Thanks, everyone, um, for being here and listening in. So we're going to talk about something. This is something that Anthony and I have spoken about at length uh, before. This is his area of expertise, so I'm going to really, Anthony, let you do most of the talking, but just uh, just by way of introduction of, of the topic. Um, so the issue of sexual violence and sexual assault, sexual abuse, and, and let me uh, start with, a, with a, just a trigger warning from the very beginning of this conversation for survivors. Um, you know, we, we may get explicit in this conversation, so I just want to say that at the outset. Um, you know, the question on the table for me is something that I really grapple with is why do presidents get away with multiple accusations of sexual misconduct? And of course, the obvious answer is, you know, the power elites just don't face consequences for anything. You know, we realize that. Um, it's a different set of rules for those in power. But still, it's worth posing the question and talking through the issue. Um, you know, if you go back to, uh, you know, to Bill Clinton, of course, and all the infamous things that happened there and all the accusations against him, which never really, um, I think, should have been aired out even more. I think uh, it's absolutely imperative that we we default to believing to believing survivors, believing women, believing accusers. That's where we start from. Um, so I think that's the case for, for all previous presidents. But I want to focus on Donald Trump and Joe Biden, the two most recent presidents, because combined, they have more than 30 accusations of sexual misconduct, everything ranging from rape to harassment to inappropriate touching, etc., um, and it's absolutely astounding that there are just no consequences whatsoever. They, they both became president, took office, despite all these accusations. Um, so what I'd like to do is, Anthony, why don't you introduce your, yourself and, and tell us more about what you do, what your area of expertise is, and, and your background in this, and then we can delve into the conversation. Sure. Thank you, Peter. And thank you for having this topic on. Um, and I know that uh, it's something that the media itself, the mainstream media, of course, likes to avoid. But sadly, even a lot of left media doesn't seem to focus on it much. So um, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that we can get into as the conversation progresses and how people really just aren't comfortable with the topic. And I understand that. Uh, and a lot of my work has been around letting people know we need to have the conversation and um, about sexual harassment, sexual assault, and really the, the spectrum of sexual violence. So my work is I'm a social worker. Um, I have a, uh, I'm a licensed master's of social work in New York State, and I have worked with victims specifically you know like youth and adult victims um like my entire career 
but the two uh like where i learned the most was as a uh, a director at two rape crisis centers in new york and these these centers also served people who are victims of uh, intimate partner violence, domestic violence, as well as child abuse and human trafficking as well. And there's connections with all of those, as you know, when it comes to sexual violence. And so I was in senior leadership at those two agencies. So I've like, I've run trauma counseling departments for child victims. Uh, I've run hotlines for victims of all agencies. And also a big part of my work was uh, running education programs where we would educate the professional community as well as the general community on these issues. And I've, you know, I've done trainings on these topics on trauma and sexual violence and family violence for police, for district attorneys. And I trained over a thousand judges in New York state. Um, and I think we're one of, if not the only state that's had that type of initiative on this kind of trauma. So, uh, and I, you know, I've spoken regionally and nationally at conferences and all of that stuff. But I would say the, you know, I teach uh, about trauma and, and this type of, uh, interpersonal and sexual violence. I teach at a, I'm a senior adjunct at Adelphi University, and also I've been teaching in the School of Social Work at Columbia University since 2017. But the, the most I've ever learned about this is from the survivors themselves. And just to note, I use the term survivors and victims intermittently, um, not to take away from the survivor aspect of, of people who've gone through this, but to also remind those that have never experienced it, that these people have been victimized and continue to be victimized. Um, and I, I came more into the social media and then, I guess, public attention on this issue. I've always done media locally in New York on these issues, but um, more national arena when it comes to this in my advocacy for Tara Reid, who had disclosed uh, being sexually harassed uh, by her boss, Joe Biden, and then eventually disclosed being sexually assaulted by him. So, you know, but I've learned, again, the most from those that have suffered the most, um, and, and they're telling their stories. Uh, and that's kind of my background on it. And I, I focus a lot on trauma and how trauma affects us individually and collectively when it comes to these issues and, and others. Excellent. Um... And it's and it's and it's been great to get to to know you and talk to you about this. Um, and I really appreciate the work that you do on this. So let's let's talk about Donald Trump first, Anthony. Um, you know, in the 2016 election, and long before that, it became clear um, that Trump's behavior toward toward women. Um, and girls, frankly, you know, walking into Miss Teen USA dressing rooms. We're talking about, what, 16 to 17 year olds? Um, that not only is he misogynist and sexist, but he's an accused rapist and sexual assaulter and sexual abuser by multiple, multiple uh, women. Um, so what? let's talk, t tell me more about 
you know, how, how you, um, you know, and, and let's also, we can't forget the, the, the inf infamous Access Hollywood tape where he was essentially bragging about committing sexual assault, you know, grabbing uh, a woman by the genitals against her will. Um, it's basically boasting about rape. So let's talk about Trump. Tell me, Anthony, how did you perceive it at the time? And how is it? And again, I know this is somewhat of a rhetorical question. How is it that he's gotten away with it? Because Trump got away with everything he did. And I remember when uh, Democrats were elected, uh, you know, there was this big hullabaloo that, you know, now Trump and his minions and his thugs will all face consequences and the <laughs> walls are closing in and all this type of stuff. But of course, Trump's getting ready potentially to run again. No consequences. Yeah. Still has a huge supporter base. So tell, tell, let's talk about Trump. Well, yeah. And, and growing up in New York... I've been hyper aware of Donald Trump, you know, unfortunately, my entire life, because uh, he's, you know, he's not a quiet billionaire or however much he's worth. But, you know, he, he's not. He wanted the publicity. And, you know, you can actually go back to his divorce from uh, his first wife, Ivana. In during the divorce proceedings, she accused him of rape. And one of his minions of attorneys spoke publicly and said that's impossible they were married and just for those that don't know um marital rape is a thing now it did not become a, a chargeable crime in new york until 1978 which is horrible but it finally was recognized as it and uh, he got divorced long after that so he was accused of raping her she accused him of it publicly but then took it back uh, there was a big settlement. Anytime a survivor decides not to continue telling their story, I respect that. But the point is, this is not new uh, with him. And I mean, the first thing is the boundary issue, what he would do being accused of, you know, that whole idea of like, oh, inadvertently wa walking into the dressing room when Teen girls were changing at like Miss Teen USA or whatever those, and then adults too in beauty contests. That's not an inadvertent thing. Anybody who's ever been involved in an event or a show knows like, oh, that's the dressing room. It's not like, whoops, I was looking for, you know, the room to, you know, get a glass of water. He knew what he was doing. So right then and there, that's voyeurism. That's not okay. Uh, it's absolutely, and, and, and as far as the girls go who were underage, that's that's a that's a sex crime. You're not allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so you know there are those those collective things that he would you know kind of brush off. And then there was the the comment on the Access Hollywood tape um, where he did say grab them by the you know slang for genitals on a woman. And you know it's interesting. I think he's on. Uh, you know, also, if you had ever listened to any of his conversations with Howard Stern, and that's another thing, I won't even get into it, Stern bugs me because, you know, he built his living around this type of horrible conversation and, and then now is all of a sudden redeemed because the liberal establishment thinks he's okay, but he encouraged Donald Trump to tell these stories, never pushed back on him. But this particular one was Access Hollywood, I think it was from the 90s or early 2000s, and he was telling... Uh, the interviewer, um, you know, you can, and he said, when you're when you're a celebrity, you can do anything you want. He said the quiet part out loud. 
you know, and I can't imagine. It's funny. I remember when that happened, grabbed them by the P word. And I remember saying to my male friends, is this a thing? Like, this is not like guys can sometimes talk in some pretty crass ways. I've never heard anybody say that. Right. It's it, it's it was foreign to me. Mm-hmm. And nobody I know thought that that was something they've ever heard anybody say either. So I can't imagine that a man would say that and brag about it if a man's never done it. Now, can you charge him with a crime for saying it? No, but he's giving you a really and one of the good things about Donald Trump is he does let you in on what his thought process is. And it's often terrible. Um, but I think that was a really revealing thing. Then and and then, was- oh, I'm sorry. Let me stop you there because I wanted to say one thing to segue from what you said. What's astonishing is when that leaked, when that audio came out, I think many political professionals thought that was the end of his campaign. But he went on to become president after that. And that's really the subject of, of this conversation, which is despite that, something that 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 I think, you know, many even reasonable political observers thought, well, there's no way you survive something like that. But that says something not just about Republicans. See, here here's the issue. This is not a partisan issue, right, Anthony? I mean, we we we're gonna talk about Joe Biden too. But what what a lot of liberals and Democrats will say in response to this, well, yes, well, Republicans kept supporting him, right? Well, so it's their fault. We never would have accepted this type of behavior and if it were our candidate. But that's not the case. And it is absolutely the case that across the board, both ruling parties, this type of behavior, you know, maybe Trump has done more of it. But as I've always said, this isn't a competition for who does more sexual, uh, you know, misconduct, right? I want to read, let me read something um, from the Michigan Journal of Gender and Law. And this was in response to the fact that Trump has faced no consequences. And they asked for a government inquiry. I'm just going to read this. So it goes as follows. Um, The many allegations reported in the media have not been amenable to judicial, legislative, executive, or political resolution. Women, including women who allege Trump committed sexual misconduct against them when they were minors, have generally not been afforded the remedies to which they are entitled. Because litigation and media accounts have proven inadequate to the task of addressing Trump's sexual misconduct, there should be a government inquiry and a resulting report. This was in 2020 that this uh, was requested. Now, of course, again, still nothing, no serious consequences, no meaningful consequences, no consequences at all um, for what Trump has done. Now, some would say, well, you don't face consequences just for accusations. What I mean by consequences is legitimate investigations, criminal charges, and the ensuing consequences that come from that, right? So I'm not trying to uh, circumvent the law, but I'm saying that you can't just get away with this stuff. Well, apparently you can, but you shouldn't be able to get away with it. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. But I will make a note, and this is interesting. The The Access Hollywood tape dropped in October, that was the October surprise, or so the Democrats thought, which I also think is a little suspect. You know, it was from 1994 or something, wasn't it? And I, I, it, Tim, I have no evidence of this, but I feel like they sat on it until then because they thought that would be when the bomb would drop. 
and it 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 didn't, which is a we'll we'll talk about the effect on the public and why it didn't matter. Uh, but that said, I had mentioned this to you when we were speaking about this previously, and that is about two dozen Republican politicians came forward and called for Donald Trump to step aside and not be the candidate. Understand this was a month before election day. And the mm -hmm. fact that two dozen Republicans, most of them were more of the the more, more of the reasonable ones and less insane ideologues. But still, two dozen Republicans came forward calling for Trump to step aside. They said this was unacceptable. And they were shouting into the wind. So um, absolutely, these things, there's two, you know, there's two types of ways this can be investigated. If a criminal, three types, if a crime has been committed and the statute of limitations isn't, you know, expired, um, there can be criminal charges. Uh, if somebody wants to pursue a civil complaint against somebody for harming them, and the statute for the civil case hasn't expired, they can do that. E. Jean Carroll is currently doing it, but not for the rape, because I think the statute expired for that, but for the defamation in the way Trump and his team and his attorneys talked about her, right? So that's what her case is about. She's an author for um, for magazines, right? So, um, but no, not one investigation into this. Democrats absolutely could have. Schumer was head of the Senate for the last two years of the Trump presidency, I believe. Uh, the con congressional, the House could have had, Pelosi could have had an investigation on this. It was open to them. They decided not to, and I think there are reasons why they didn't. Um, but neither party holds the other accountable. And to date, the only group of politicos that came forward saying that any of these men should step aside was the Republicans who, you know, the small group of Republicans who demanded Trump step aside. So you can have a civil case, you can have a criminal case, and you can have an, an official investigation that doesn't have to enter into criminal or civil territory, but could say this person is disqualified, disqualified from holding office. That can happen. It's not, and, and, and let me say, yeah, and let me say, and it didn't. Yeah, exactly. And that's really a perfect, um, I think, um, sort of uh, uh, inflection point here where we can move over to talking about Democrats, because we're talking about investigations, we're talking about consequences, um, and we're talking about how neither ruling party uh, takes this issue as seriously as it should. They basically treat it as a weapon against the other party. They weaponize it against the other party and then try to excuse it when the accusers, um, you know, you know, uh, make allegations against them. So one of the reasons I left the Democratic Party, uh, it's been, I think, a, a year or two now since, and I was a lifelong Democrat. I worked within the top tiers of the Democratic establishment. One of the main reasons I quit the party was because of how the accusations against Joe Biden were ignored, how his accusers were treated the way Republicans treated Trump's accusers. Uh, I found it absolutely 
just despicable how the Me Too movement was just completely thrown under the bus by the Democratic leadership as soon as, as, one, as soon as one of their own was facing these accusations. Now, let's talk. And Anthony, you, you know Tara Reid um, pretty well. And I don't want to make this conversation about Tara, however, because for a number of reasons, um, because she is used as an excuse um, to somehow pretend that there's really only one Joe Biden accuser, her integrity, her entire <laughs> character, her person, herself, has been under extreme assault. Whether or not you believe her, whether or not you think she's credible, is, is it a completely separate issue from the all-out assault on this human being by the Democratic Party and by rank-and-file Democrats? So what I don't want to do is, is sort of lean into that right now. What I'd like to do is look at the broader issue of Joe Biden's behavior around women and girls. And this goes right to your area of expertise. So for those who don't know, and every time I talk about Joe Biden, I almost invariably from liberals and Democrats and his defenders get the same response. There's no comparison to Trump. There's only one accuser. She's a liar, you know, on and on and on and on and on. And so there's absolutely no context and no history, which is out there in the public for us to see. So the facts are as follows. Joe Biden faces more than a half dozen accusations of sexual misconduct. Some are just inappropriate words, inappropriate touching, inappropriate contact, sexual harassment. It runs the gamut, right? But every single one of them falls under the rubric of sexual misconduct, of inappropriate behavior, violating boundaries, etc. And there have been a number of news articles that have listed all the accusers. So that's part one of Joe Biden's sort of history on this issue. Part two is Biden is known to such an extent in the political world to be somebody who violates the physical space and boundaries of women and girls that the Daily Show in 2015 ran a piece called The Audacity of Grope about Biden, what they called Biden's groping. Again, when I use the word groping in Biden, I have outraged liberals. Oh, my God, you cannot compare this to Trump. How can you say the word grope? It's just a little bit of hair sniffing like an old grandfather or uncle would do. And again, when I get those responses, I always come back with watch the videos. Now, I'm going to hand it off to you, Anthony, because there is a video that you were a part of that actually looks very carefully at Biden's inappropriate touching in public, at public events, um, truly disturbing when you watch the videos themselves. And again, what I'm trying to lay out is the entire context of Biden's behavior around women and girls. So, Anthony, talk to me about, as an expert, about how his touching and hair sniffing and holding a, a glance too long or, you know, rubbing his face in someone's face or hair. Talk to me about that stuff and how you perceive it. Uh, okay. And so... I would refer people to 
find the Audacity of Grove clip from, uh, if I can find it again, I'll put it up on my on my Twitter, but Jon Stewart seemed very disturbed at it. All the footage that was used for the Audacity of Grope, uh, much of the footage, and all the footage used for the video that I did, and I'm going to get deeper into that, was uh, raw footage from C-SPAN, right? Not altered. It was raw footage from C-SPAN. So mm -hmm. uh, a couple of videographers approached me and uh, asked me if I would consider narrating a video because they were editing a montage of the video footage of Joe Biden inappropriately touching children during Senate swearing in ceremonies. Understand at the time he was the president of the Senate, which is the, one of the roles of the vice president. And so he would be there to swear him in. And, you know, he'd give them all the, the senators a pat on the back and say, all right, man, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, welcome, blah, blah, blah. Right. He did. It does his perfunctory thing. What the video shows is truly disturbing and and is very, very typical in predator behavior. And then let me say this. I, uh, uh, sorry, if I can just stop you for a second. Um, and you've always said this, too. We are not making any criminal allegations or accusations. You're simply making an observation about videos from C-SPAN that you've watched and we've watched. And I also want to say that to see the video, just go to directleft.com. And I actually have the video in the piece, um, the most recent piece I've written, which is really part of what this discussion is. It says presidents should not get away with sexual misconduct. I also believe, Anthony, on Twitter, you have it pinned as well. So anybody who wants to watch this video with Anthony, either go to directleft.com, you'll find it there, or go to Anthony's Twitter. Um, but go ahead. Go to direct left. You, you'll, you'll learn more than from my Twitter. Uh, so, but anyway, <laughs> okay. um, but... Uh, <sighs> So absolutely, I am not accusing Joe Biden of, and people said, how can you call Joe Biden a pedophile? I'm like, I never called him a pedophile. If you listen to my narration, I say his behaviors are unsafe because they are. When I say they mirror the behaviors of predators, I say that with experience as an expert in the field of sexual violence, and they do. And so what I mean by that is he distracts the adults the, the kind of the the thing he does often is they're standing on the on the Senate floor, whatever that stage part is called. He'll point up to the gallery. Every, all the adults look up to the gallery, and that's when you see his hands move on the bodies of these children. So he pulls usually, but not always, the little girls very close to his body. And of course, if it's a six or seven year old kid, their head is right about even with your belt if you're an adult okay uh one one of these he pulls a very looks like a you know she looks like a shy girl and is kind of shying away from the spotlight anyway pulls her close to him and when he pulls her close to her body you see her shift very quickly away so there was that one there's another one where he he and he does the hair sniffing thing a lot which is problematic. That's not being a little too affectionate. And I want a message to anybody. Um, you know, that's not an affectionate uncle or grandfather. If you have an uncle or grandfather who sniffs your hair, run, run the, the other way, because that is mm -hmm. not safe behavior. Right. It's not. Um, but let's even say these are not his children. These are not his grandchildren. 
These are children he's never met who are between the ages of like five and six and maybe 13 or 14. He pulls them in. There's one where he's got a young girl who looks like, I don't know how old she is, 14 years old, puts his her, his hand right under where you would, um, on the side, right under where the ribs end. And it's it's a little intimate. You wouldn't just do that to someone. She kind of makes a little bit of a face. You can see it. He does the same thing to an adult. Her eyes roll. There's another one where he's he's touching a young girl's chest. and it, And this is one of the most truly disturbing things. You literally see his hand move up toward the chest area. Some people have said that it looks like he's pinching. I see that, but it's hard to tell. But it is absolutely, it looks to me, and again, it's while he's distracting the adults, um, like inappropriate touch. And I will say this, and I said this in the video as I narrated it. These unsafe behaviors, even if the person doesn't have the design in their head to molest a child, create an unsafe situation for the child by making them think that these behaviors are okay. Mm -hmm. And this is, uh, if I can, if I can just say this, this is very, that's a very important point you're making. And what's to me most disturbing and notable about these videos is the, dis the clear discomfort, the physical discomfort of the people he's touching. And yet he continues with the with the touching and the sniffing. And, and, and that to me is is a clear violation of a human being's bound. We we all know the social cues and the physical cues. All human beings naturally know when somebody's sort of squirming to get away from you and you continue to hold them, you're exerting at the very least, uh, uh, as you say, an unsafe power dynamic, not to mention a uh, sexual dynamic, whether or not intended again, but it is not a safe power dynamic. Go ahead. I just wanted to add that point. No, I'm glad you said that because it is all about the power by dynamic. And I start my conversation on that video by saying, um, you know, I don't know if a sex offender or a predator always has power over a, a child. They do just by the nature of being an adult or a much older child, because that happens um, a lot as well. And the 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 piece that is really disturbing about so real quickly in my role in both agencies rape crisis centers that i worked at one particular agency was the hub for all child sex abuse investigations in nassau county on long island in new york we worked we were embedded directly with the special victims unit from the police force of nassau county you know the police department mm -hmm. I worked with them every day for years. Uh, I was trained in two evidence-based programs that were designed to train parents and professionals who worked with children on how to keep kids safe from sex abuse. There is research behind this. And I will let you know the behaviors that Joe Biden exhibited in those videos are exactly the kinds of behaviors that both of these evidence-based programs talked about. And I would have conversations with adults and say, you know, if Uncle Charlie, no offense to anybody whose name is Charlie, is wrestling with, um, you know, with your little nine-year-old daughter, mm -hmm. okay, there is a point, and you said it very, very, uh, you know, clearly, when kids don't want to be held, sit on your lap, touched, hugged, or, or played with, or tickled, 
they will squirm away because usually they don't feel confident enough to use their words. And adults have power and they're intimidating. But if you're, if Uncle Charlie's wrestling and tickling your nine-year-old daughter and she doesn't want to play anymore and tries to pull away, a healthy adult respects those boundaries and will stop hugging, holding, tickling the child. A predator will plow right through that red light. And we see it all the time. And we know this from the victims who came forward, many as adults, who would say, this is what happened to me. My stepfather did this. And they kept doing it even when I said no or with my body language said no. So these behaviors are toxic, even if they don't lead to molestation, because what they do is they let a child know you your boundaries are not yours i decide what your boundaries are and that sets people up and we see this often where those who were sexually abused as children are more likely to be re-victimized as teens and then adults and look Um, and 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 you talk about role models right anthony we're talking about the president of the united states of america i mean he became that right at the time he was not but he was senator so Right. Exactly. There are recent a few months ago where he pulled someone, you know, and it was he goes off script and he goes, why don't you come up here? And, he, you know, the the daughter of one of the women involved in some bill that he's signing, you know, they do the bill signings in the Rose Garden, calls her up off script. And you can tell. And then she comes up on stage and he's pulling and pulling, you know, and it's like these people and he puts his face and his nose down in their face and their hair. And that is not what a healthy, typical adult would do with the child. Exactly. Exactly. if it's not their child. And so the level of denial, you know, and the fact is, before I ever saw the audacity of growth, I remember seeing that live, you know what, live, it was taped, of course, but when 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 it was first broadcast in 2015, I said to a friend of mine, did you see The Daily Show last night? That's all the stuff that we talk about in our trainings. Because I've seen yes. that before. And let me and let me say this. We we started out by talking about Trump. You know, his behavior is beyond egregious, criminal behavior. He, he he claims that he did things that were criminal. He boasts about stuff. Hideous, heinous, and egregious behavior on the part of Trump, right? And his behavior toward women. I think disqualified him from the presidency. But I also believe, and I, and I tweeted this a year before the election. I want to read a tweet that I wrote. And this was in May of 2020. I wrote the cold hard truth about Biden and Me Too. Number one, Joe Biden is on camera repeatedly groping, sniffing, and feeling girls without consent to their visible discomfort. Number two, multiple women have accused Biden of inappropriate contact. Number three, these actions disqualify him from the presidency. And you know what's interesting when when now vice president, but then candidate Kamala Harris was running against Biden. Her response was, I believe the accusers and I respect them being able to tell their story and having the courage to do it. And again, what what and I know you deal with this all the time, Anthony, and and, and many of you listening and others who will listen to this in, in podcast format. You know, those of you who are live now and those who will listen later, those who speak about this get extremely frustrated, as I do, when Biden's defenders 
who come out sounding just like Republicans who defend Trump. Oh, it's nothing. It's not important. You're exaggerating. Um, come on. I mean, really? I mean, he's such a nice guy. He's such a decent and honorable person. And it's, it's a level of, of, of denial that is really frustrating because I'm looking at this stuff with my own eyes. I'm looking at multiple accusations. I'm looking at these videos. Even as I say, Harris, when she was running against him, acknowledged multiple ac allegations and said we should take them seriously. But then there's, as you say, this, this blanket denial in the Democratic Party. So as a former Democrat, in many ways, I get angrier at the Democrats because I expect Republicans to be in denial about these issues. The Republican Party has, 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 has a god-awful record on women's issues. They effectively conduct a war against women in this country, whether it's reproductive rights and on and on and on, and all other rights, right? So that's to be expected. But when the Democratic Party, the, the so-called champions of the Me Too movement, okay, and I say this as both my wife and I being survivors, um, this is very personal, very deep for us, and very emotional and difficult. So to see the Me Too movement ditched the way it has been by the Democratic Party is, uh, I mean, it's hard to find words to describe. Again, that is one of the main reasons that I quit the party. I just could not fathom the so-called champions of the Me Too movement effectively saying it's meaningless because we want Joe Biden elected. Anthony, what do you feel about that? And I'll also, in a few minutes, I'd like others to weigh in. Um, I want to open this up. So I sort of want to wrap soon our piece of this and then see if there are any questions or anybody wants to comment. But go ahead, Anthony. Talk to me about how you feel about this denial among Democrats. Not only did they deny it, just like the Republicans did, they also, some people said, I don't care. In fact, there was an article by somebody in some liberal publication that said, I believe Tara Reid, but the stakes are too high, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, well, at least you're honest. But there's a famous tweet from just some rando Twitter, Twitter user who said something to the effect of Joe Biden could rape me in the middle of Fifth Avenue mm -hmm. and I'd still vote for him over Trump or Bernie. Mm -hmm. Right. This is a centrist saying I don't like of course, you don't like Trump, you know, but I. Uh, I, I don't like Bernie so much if Joe Biden committed an act of rape against me. And that was a reference to Donald Trump's horrible statement when he was running the first time saying I could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue and get away with it. And I, I, I do sadly think he's right. That said, um, you saw Trump supporters with T-shirts with an arrow pointing down to their genital area. Women, I saw a few of these photos and I couldn't believe it. And it said, he can grab me by the P word anytime he wants. And it's mm -hmm. like, so I do think, and this is a whole other conversation, but I think there's something about a, a hyper masculine, hyper toxic masculinity candidate that does appeal to people. And I find it disturbing. I uh, The Democrats I will say this. I'll go on record. So, um, but, you know, before I do, I want to read a very brief thing, but I think it's important. This is from the New York Times. When the eight women, including Tara Reid, first came out in April of 2019 saying Joe Biden inappropriately touched me, 
before Tara came forward with her accusation of allegation of sexual assault. This is this was harassment and inappropriate touch. The New York Times did a story on it, and this one woman, uh, Caitlin Caruso. It says the list of women run, coming forward is growing. Caitlin Caruso, a former college student and sexual assault survivor, said Mr. Biden rested his hand on her thigh, even as she squirmed in her seat to show her discomfort and hugged her, quote, just a little bit too long, at an event on sexual assault at the University of Nevada in Las Vegas. She was 19. Wow. Ms. Caruso, now 22, said she chalked up the encounter at the time just to how men act and did not say anything publicly, but she said it was particularly uncomfortable because she had just shared her own story of sexual assault publicly in the event Biden was at and had expected Mr. Biden, an architect of the 1994 Violence Against Women Act, to understand the importance of physical boundaries. She ends with, quote, it doesn't even really cross your mind that such a person would dare perpetrate harm. I'm underlining those words like that. She said, these are supposed to be people you can trust. So I want to go on the record as saying that predatory behavior is wrong. Joe Biden exhibited it. These women weren't just, you know, a, a victim of a man who was being a little too affectionate. He absolutely did something that was harmful to multiple women. Lucy Flores is another woman who said she was harmed by him. Of course, Tara Reid said she was harmed by him. Now, Caitlin Caruso, a 19-year-old college student who just told her own sexual assault story in public. How mm -hmm. sick is it that after that, he sits, she sits next to him and he, he feels her leg, her thigh, and mm -hmm. won't let go of her. And so that behavior, and I will tell you this, if Joe Biden was a student or a faculty member of the school and did that at that school event, he could have been brought up on Title IX charges and kicked out of the, of the institution. So even though that wasn't a criminal act that she could move forward with, absolutely was a Title IX violation. So getting back to the question, and then I know you want to open it up, which is why do the Democrats, and I'll say, like, let it go? Because I believe Me Too was created by the Democrats. Not the phrase, of course, but the movement. Uh, they, they hijacked it like they hijacked so many other movements, and then they created Time's Up. These things were created only to direct their, their, their weaponry at Republicans and to shield Democrats. And I'll say that very clearly. This has come out, high-ranking members of Time's Up, how to resign from the board of Time's Up because they were working in collusion with the Cuomo administration to destroy the, 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 the lives and the, and the characters of the women who accused Andrew Cuomo. So why did the Democrats abandon Me Too? I think the better question is, why did they create it? They created it to attack Republicans and to shield Democrats. Yes, and, and, and again, to, to, to be clear, and you said this, I think, uh, very explicitly, they hijacked the initial phrase, Me Too, which was not created by Democrats, but they hijacked the movement and then used it for political purposes. Now, that cynicism 
um, is really disgusting. It's really disgusting because it harms all survivors. And as you say, it sends a terrible message to children who are watching these political role models. Um, so, so the effect is, is very wide-reaching, very far-reaching, and just very detrimental. Um, you know, we can go on, Anthony, where there's there so much to talk about this. I think it, it, it sort of brings in a, a broader issue for me, and that is selective principles, which is something the Democratic Party suffers from. And that is that, um, you know, they claim to have certain principles, but will only apply them in certain circumstances. Well, then you don't really have principles because the entire purpose of having moral principles and standards and values is that you apply them across the board. These are the things you believe in and they're not partisan and they have nothing to do with political party. You simply believe something is wrong and therefore it's wrong no matter who does it. And this is the same thing about the kids in cages. You know, when, when, when children were caged by Trump, you saw liberals up in arms. And then when children were caged by Obama first and then Biden later, uh, suddenly it didn't really matter. They were just holding cells or pens or whatever you want to call them. And that, that, and, you know, Democrats wonder why they're doing so poorly. Well, when you don't have a moral compass, when you don't have a moral core, voters know that. They see right through that. And um, so, so this, you know, that's, that's sort of the, the wider lens on this very particular issue. Now, if anybody wants to ask questions, I see a few friends here. Um, just hit the little phone icon in the lower right. If you, and, um, you know, if you want to just weigh in, make a comment. If not, perfectly uh, fine as well. But I just want to make sure that I open the floor um, to anybody who wants to ask a question. Um, so as we wait for that, Anthony, you know, I really, I really appreciate, um, you know, what you do out there because, you know, there's always this, this thing about, oh, it's just Twitter, it's not real life, or it's just social media. But speaking out, and I've said this before, is a crucial part of activism. Simply speaking the truth um, is an act of, of defiance and revolution, right? Because everything starts with thoughts and words. All actions begin with, with, with thoughts initially. You have an idea for what you want to do. Uh, you express it with words, and then you take action. So I think it's absolutely imperative um, for all of us to continue to be out there speaking out, and of course, taking action as well um, in support of these causes and these, and, the, and these issues, these critically important issues. Um, if I throw go ahead, go ahead with a final word. Yes, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. If I could, and I think this is important that like, uh, I, and, and thank you, Peter, for not letting this issue go because I read your original tweet. I thought, I think we weren't even connected at that time, mm -hmm. but it was amazing. It's one of the reasons I think I reached out to Leela and said, could you please ask Peter to unblock me from all the 2016 craziness? And, um, you know, you have been a consistent uh, voice on this and, and you have a, a wonderful and, and big platform and I, re, I it's very appreciated and I can tell you it's appreciated by survivors. But um, one of the things I want to say, so the, the, the machine, the democratic machine attacked anybody, uh, attacked Tara Reid and then anybody who stood up for her. So I remember, and also I did the video. So right around the time I was advocating, started advocating for Tara publicly. And, and all I said was, I heard her interview on the Katie Halper show. I believe her. I'm a trauma expert. I heard trauma. She hit all the points that I would expect somebody who went through what she said she went through to actually say. 
I did that. And then in May of 2020, that's when the video came out, they started attacking me and the Democratic machine with their bot farms and troll farms and Sally Albright and all these people, you know, would, would, would started attacking me saying I wasn't really a professor and saying, I'm like, well, okay, well then tell my students because like, they see me every week. Um, and then there was a coordinated campaign to get me fired from both Adelphi and Columbia. And mm -hmm. I had to have multiple conversations with my bosses. And I will say something interesting. One of the assistant deans in one particular of the many conversations we had about this, First of all, the both schools said you can say anything you want on social media, and you know you're not representing the school on social media. You're representing your own thoughts, and you're allowed to do that. We stand behind you. She said the dean just got an email with the video you narrated about Biden in it with the touching, and then she paused and said, she sent it to me, and I saw it, and I thought, oh boy, am I in trouble for this now? And then she said, it's disturbing. And this person is a very active Democrat. And mm -hmm. she said, it's disturbing. So that backfired. But the fact that they attacked me and tried to get me fired. I mean, first of all, Democrats are the most anti-free speech people out there. There's that. But then, you know, and we're not dwelling on, the, uh, on this whole, because it's a whole other conversation about Tara Reid. They tried to destroy that woman's life. And they still are. The New York Times doxed her and published her social security number mm -hmm. there. Um, and then there was a coordinated hit job done across the media between PBS, um, whatever their online news, our, you know, uh, articles are, Politico, a bunch of um, outlets all within a week of each other. And that's how you know it's coordinated. All of a sudden, they attacked her character with Tara. They went back to landlords from 30 years ago asking if she was late on her rent. Mm -hmm. And like newsflash, people who may have been late on their rent 30 years ago can be sexually assaulted. Yeah. One has nothing to do with the other. So the, the vehemence and coordinated attacks that we saw from Democrats, I've spoken out against Trump in the same way I've done tonight. And I've never gotten that from that camp. And, you know, it's just, it blows my mind that they will stop at nothing. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's really sad because so many survivors were hurt by what they saw happening. And I, I've gotten so many messages on Twitter from survivors, men as well as women, who said what I'm witnessing right now with the way Tara is being attacked, with the way you and the other allies of Tara are being attacked, or the people that support that video are being attacked, um, is is truly frightening me. And it, it was re-traumatizing them. So the Democrats don't care to know the damage they do when they back their man. And they said the same things that Republicans said, like after the, the Reid story broke, Dianne Feinstein, well, I know, well, we won't even get into that, but Dianne Feinstein said, where's she been all this time? And that's exactly what Republicans said about Christine Blasey Ford. Yeah, you remember that? Exactly. It's the, it's the, look, it's the identical argument. 
My stance has always been this, Anthony. The Republican Party is a monstrous pox on this country, right? <laughs> so I, I will never, you know, I, I criticize both parties. You know, when I quit the Democratic Party and, and I really became effectively radicalized um, as a leftist, um, meaning I believe we need to change the entire system. That When I say leftist, I mean, I, I believe in, in a radical transformation as opposed to incremental, you know, uh, fixes around the margins, right? And I think we all feel that way, those of us who, 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 who have this worldview, right? So I will never excuse the Republican Party. I think the Republican Party has done untold harm um, to, the, to the citizens of this country and to the world. However, you know, I've come to believe that the Democratic Party, and I never believed this before, and I understand how liberals and Democrats and my former sort of, you know, colleagues and allies and partners, you know, can't, can't seem to process this. But once you come to this realization that the Democratic Party can be as bad, and as you're saying, in some cases, even worse than Republicans, and partner with Republicans to, to push these terrible policies that harm people. So for me, both parties have to be held accountable. I will never, I never want to err on the side of criticizing one too much and ignoring the other. Our entire system is the problem, right? And, you know, going after one does not excuse the other. Talking about Biden's sexual misconduct does not somehow mitigate what Trump does and vice versa. So, you know, when somebody says, well, you know, look at Trump, you know, all the, the sort of the whataboutist approach of how can you talk about Biden? Look at Trump. He's got 10 times more. Well, I don't care. This is not a competition for who's the most, who has wait, the least wait, sexual imagine, imagine being arrested for burglary and saying, Your Honor, the, the other guy robbed four more houses than I did. Like, exactly. That, yeah, that's exactly. your argument. And the other thing is, uh, liberals are very quick to talk about how terrible Trump is. I agree. And should he be the bar? I mean, because then when you think about that, if Trump is now the bar and anything even minutely better than Trump is okay and acceptable, God help Trump, us. Trump has won. Whether right. he runs and wins again doesn't even matter. Well, it matters, but I'm saying as far as this bar goes, because he's won, because now the bar is so low. I mean, anybody could run. And that's the, well, that gets the support of the party. And that's the kind of thing where, you know, it's funny. I think about racism as a connection with this. I had a friend who moved down south. I won't mm -hmm. say what state for a couple of years. Now, I live in the northeast. I live in New York on the island. That's where they grew up. They moved down south for a couple of years, lived with relatives. And I remember saying, when they came back to live in New York, how is it down there, you know, like with racism and everything? Because the, it's known to be an area where that's a, a big deal. We know it exists everywhere. And the response was, you know, I almost like it better because at least when somebody's racist to you down south, you know it. When someone doesn't like you because of the color of your skin, they let you know. Up here, people pretend they're not. And that's, I extrapolate that to the Democratic Party. With the Republicans, we know they don't give a hoot about sexual violence. They just don't. And they back it up with trying to strike down like any, any legislation which would protect a victim, especially women. The Democrats dance around like they are the saviors on this issue. 
remember Kamala Harris had a conversation about, you know, empowering women and girls. And her guest, they did this horrible thing online, was Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. You know, and like the thing about the Dems that really gets me and why my ire is 95% directed at them online is because, A, I was like you, a lifelong Democrat. I didn't, I wasn't in the upper echelons, but, you know, I worked on campaigns. I worked with the Democratic Committee in my local town for years, knocked on doors, made phone calls, did all that stuff happily. I don't regret it. I learned a lot and I think I helped. But because I, I, I was a lifelong Dem, it's personal to me. And two, they're supposed to be the good guys. Sorry. Yeah, for the, well, yeah no, no, of course. And look, it, it's it's really a matter of preference. Would you rather be stabbed in the face or in the back? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that, that's really what you get with the two parties. Well, look, Anthony, I want to, ha- you know, I'm starting. I, I took, a, as some of you may know, I took a, a, a few week hiatus to really regroup and, and think about how to be most productive in politics. And, and, and now we've returned with these call-in shows. I want to do more of them. I would like you on. Um, I, I see a number of friends here listening. I would like uh, you guys on as well um, in the future. I hope you'd be willing to join. So we're going to wrap this up. It looks like um, um, there are no questions or comments, but we will continue to talk about this type of stuff. I'm going to try to set up a, a weekly conversation like this, and hopefully all of you will be back. Anthony, thank you so much. Again, thanks for everything you do. Thanks for having this conversation with me. I will uh, post this entire conversation by tomorrow so anybody can listen to it and share it. Okay, thank you so much, Peter. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. We're going to wrap. Thank you so much, and have a great rest of your day or evening. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye, all.